You're listening to Review and Preview on Facebook Live. Everybody, good evening. Welcome back to Review and Preview. Another week, another show. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta, joined alongside Kyle Russo, my co-host. Kyle, how's it going tonight? It's going good, Tom. How you doing? I'm doing excellent. I'm really looking forward to tonight's show. Before we introduce our guest, quick reminder to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Review and Preview Sports. Also, we are on the Anchor for our audio podcast. And subscribe to our YouTube channel at Review and Preview Sports. Very special guest here tonight. And I'd imagine this was James in the comments section already in all caps. Um, Let's go Islanders. They went up 3-2 to in their series against Pittsburgh last night. Tonight is hockey night, folks, here on Review and Preview. Chris Nosek of JDF Sports will be joining the show. He is the co-host of Puck Off. He is also a big Boston Bruins fan. And I like to call that a super fan. And without further ado, let's bring him on. Chris, welcome to the show. How's it going? Going pretty well, uh, especially after the Bruins advanced the other day into the second round. So thanks for having me on. Looking forward to uh, talking some playoff hockey with you guys. No problem. Thank you so much for joining us. Before we kind of dive into that, why don't you tell people where they can find your show, Puck Off, on JDF Sports? Absolutely. JDF Sports, we're all over social media. So uh, we've even got TikTok. Uh, we've got everything going on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, follow JDS sports. you get all of our content, including puck off where we air live Tuesday nights at 9 PM. Me with my co-host Dylan James, he's a natural predators fan. So he'll have a little bit of a distraction tonight as his predators take on the Carolina hurricane to try and take uh, a lead in their series, which surprisingly enough, they made a, a little bit of a comeback in. So Dylan, good luck tonight. I'll be uh, I'll be a Predators fan tonight. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so make sure to go check out Puck Off tonight with Chris Nosek and Dylan James right after we go off the air. So uh, let's get into the first series I want to talk to you both about. Kyle Russo, your New York Islanders are now up 3-2 to two over the Pittsburgh Penguins heading into Game 6. The winner of this series will play Chris's bra- uh, Boston Bruins. In the second round, the Islanders won game five in double overtime, game-winning goal by Josh Bailey. In a game where Pittsburgh outshot New York 50-28, to and Pittsburgh had a lead in the third period until Jordan Eberle tied the game. Kyle, what happened? What was the missing piece in the previous games that helped the Islanders get over the hump in this one? It's the impact of Ilya Sorokin. That's been the, the Islanders' bread and butter the last couple of years where they don't necessarily have that Artemi Panarin, Connor McDavid, uh, 
big goal scoring David Pasternak kind of guy, impact type of player. They have a lot of great players, but their goaltending is where they're going to win their games at. And Semyon Varlamov, not that in game two he played bad. I think he had 43 saves. They just had zero goal support. That's where Ilya Sorokin's been different is that he's letting absolutely nothing get past him. And that's why he's 3-0 basically yeah, in his rookie season in in playoff contending, which is absolutely unbelievable to think that this is a guy which in game one, you know, you got the alert an hour, 30 minutes prior that this guy is the guy that's getting the start. I'm like, oh, oh, man, because the first thing that actually came to my mind was Igor Shesterkin last year was, all right, you know, he played great all season, but how is he going to do in the playoffs? And he had a really good game one, really good game uh, four, and a really good game five last night to now give the Islanders the opportunity to win at the Nassau Coliseum uh, tomorrow night, I believe. So that's been that's been the difference maker in these games. What do you think, Chris? What's been the key? I know Kyle mentioned Sorokin, but the Islanders have a good core of players despite not having Lee in there. Yeah, no, Anders Lee has been a, a big hole for this team, but and they play a very defensive style. So not having his ability to puck, put the puck in the net has really hurt them on the offensive side of things. And having, you know, Semyon Varlamov, as Kyle was saying, is is a really good goaltender. His goals, his uh, save percentage has been above 90, but his goals against, he's been averaging about three in this playoffs. That huge difference going to 1.66 for Sorokin has been the difference. His is a little bit higher in the save percentage department, but that's also because he's faced more shots. So for Sorokin to be playing this well without the offensive support of Anders Lee that they lost due to the knee injury earlier in the season, that's been the biggest thing. They, they always have played a solid defensive way, and they'll always shut down strong offenses, but their ability to put the puck in the net has, has, has been what's changed from the last couple of years. Right, and I think it's helped the Islanders in this series, that momentum. They've won the last two games of the series after trailing 2-1. to one. So they're turning things around. The impact of Sorokin is insane. 48 saves in Game 5. Game 6 will be played tomorrow out in Long Island. And actually, what's been crazy is four of the five games in the series have been decided by just one goal. So all of these games have been tight. In fact, two of them have gone into overtime Let's talk about Pittsburgh here for just a minute. And they were the one seed in the East Division. However, talking to a couple of Penguins fans that I know, they weren't too confident heading into the series because of what happened to them against New York two playoffs ago. It was not very fun for Pittsburgh Penguins fans, and now we're seeing a very, very similar thing. Yeah, what, what, wasn't it like the last couple series that they've been in the playoffs? They weren't even able to pull away a game. They were like, oh, and something in the last couple playoff series, the last couple years that they were playing in. For me, uh, I had a lot of confidence in this Penguins team. I thought that it would be competitive because while I think that the Islanders didn't end off the season the way I would have liked to, losing games to Buffalo, losing games to the Devils, which could have put you at a better placement uh, to play a team maybe like Boston in the first round or maybe like Washington in the first round, um, they got stuck with playing the Penguins, who at the point in time were the number one seed. I was highly nervous because all season long, if you were to pick a conference team and you're an Islanders fan, that's the last team you wanted to play. You played them poorly all year long. And it was very nerve-wracking for me personally because of what they have. Uh, you know, Jeff Carter, that was a very underrated addition in the uh, at the deadline, and he's been extremely impactful for them. And obviously Sidney Crosby. You know, he's an absolute monster. He's impossible to defend against. You got to live and die with the fact that it's going to be hard to do that. 
we've got to make sure that the rest of the team isn't able to score. Having Malkin back has also been huge for them as well. And their goaltending, while the Islanders goaltending, we like to preface them and talk about them, how great they've been. While Jari had a bad play last night, which ultimately sealed the deal, he's been really good this series too as well. So they are definitely a tough team to face off against. You know, not to say that I wouldn't put it on the scale, even though the Islanders are the fourth seed, Penguins are the one seed. I don't know a lot of fans that would say that if the Islanders won, that was an upset. I feel like they're on the same stature, same kind of standpoint. Yes, Pittsburgh might have the brand names and and household names, but in terms of their play style, especially when it comes to the playoffs, the Islanders are a different type of team, and you're seeing that right now, now up 3-2 with an opportunity to win at home tomorrow. Yeah, Chris, what do you think about Pittsburgh? They're an interesting team because throughout this season, they've they've been hot at times, and it's kind of been an interesting story with them and what they've been able to do throughout the course of the year. Yeah, and to Kyle's point, you can never count out a team that has a player like Sidney Crosby, and then, of course, when you reinsert an Evgeny Malkin into that mix, it, it's always going to increase the probability that that team has to win. Um, I feel like that Pittsburgh more so kind of backed into the the number one seed. I think that's a little bit of a deceiving thing for them. Uh, Boston saw so many injuries during the regular season. At one point, they were down to their fourth goaltender. They were down to their you know twelfth, thirteenth defenseman. You know when when a team like Boston is is that deep in their depth and still manages to finish third in the division, it just proves how how scary that that team can be. And when they started losing some of those games with those players in their lineup, I mean, there was an eight to one loss or eight nothing loss that they had to Washington that everyone knew, you know, you, you've got your, your Jack Ashan playing 20 minutes, leading the power play guy who's never played on an NHL level game before in his, in his life. Like when you've got a Boston team like that out on the ice, of course they're going to drop spots in the standings. And I think, you saw that happen with Washington throughout the season. You saw that happen with Boston, and you saw it happen with New York. Every single one of these four teams all spent time in that first place spot. I think it just happened to be a roll of the dice that the season ended and Pittsburgh was there. So it, it was just a matter of how did these teams finish. They were all going to be solid matchups. I think Boston got the best first-round matchup for them. And, you know, this is going to be a very interesting, you know, see, uh, series to see play out. But I, I do think everything has lined up for Boston the way that they would have wanted it to, aside from finishing in the first place spot. Speaking of Boston, that's a great segue into our next segment, Chris. They beat Washington in five, four to one in that series. And I had a feeling they would come out on top. I know there was a time where they actually dropped to the four, where people were talking about the Rangers potentially competing with them for the four, but Boston got back up to the three line, which personally, I think is where they wanted to be. It was an outstanding matchup and game five, the Bruins won that three to one. They did get outshot 41 to 19, but Patrice Bergeron, David Pasternak were outstanding. Bergeron had two goals in that game and then Tuka Rask with the 40 saves. I mean, how big of a factor was he? Yeah, it was also the the quality of shots that Tuka was facing. If you saw, first, first of all, Tuka is in his game and when he's on his game, He's he's won Vesnas. He's he's one of the best in the league, and he saw the shots clearly. Like they, the only goals that were scored, pretty much were tippins. They were deflections. I mean that that last game, the game five win would have been a shutout if not for a power play goal that went off of the skate 
of Brandon Carlo as he's trying to stop in front of the crease. So that you can basically chalk that up as a shutout because that's just a bounce of the puck. They happen. That's why you play the games, of course. And I mean, Tuka has been fantastic. He only got better as the season went on. And after game one, there were fans that were clamoring for Jeremy Swayman to be put in net. So he quickly put that whole thing to bed too. Yeah. And another piece that's been extremely impactful for the Boston Bruins. And I said at the moment it happened that they won the trade deadline is getting Taylor Hall and everybody had written off Taylor Hall goes along with the curse. Look at the team that he was playing with. Yes, you had Jack Eichel, but Jack Eichel was hurt all year round. When you're a player of his magnitude, we've seen it before when he went to New Jersey first year, he won the, I don't know the proper name, but he won the MVP for the NHL. I don't know the trophy name for it, but he won the MVP as one of the best players in the league with New Jersey. And he goes to Buffalo, kind of a deal that he bets on himself because he probably doesn't want to settle with a long-term deal. Nothing there. And Chris, don't quote me on this. He played, what, 16 games for you guys in the regular season? 13 points in 16 games? He's, he's been insane. He's He's been reborn, as they would say, in a, in a Bruins jersey. Like This is where he clearly wanted to be. Um, I, I think I, I want to go back and find the footage from that draft and see the look on his face when he was picked first because – He's even said it in his own interviews that when he and Tyler Sagan came to Boston, saw the team, saw the, you know, the facilities and all that, like he, he knew then that he wanted to be here. And then Edmonton took him. He was stuck there for a while. Then they, and then he got moved and then he spent some time in Arizona and, you know, Boston was really close to signing him this past off season. It clearly came down to money, and and Boston didn't want to give them the eight million, which was a very smart move on their behalf. They said, "Go ahead, take your money somewhere else." Buffalo gave it to them, and now they're the ones sitting there going, "This is what happens if you want to try and win." May take a little bit less money, and and I think he's realizing that he's realized that he's made really good money in his life, and it's more important to be happy. Another guy I really like too for you guys is Riley. Had a couple of assists in the past game. Who do you think has stepped up? I mean, do you like him? Has it been Charlie McAvoy? Who really has stepped up as of late? Yeah, no, all three trade deadline acquisitions have been fantastic. I mean, I think Don Sweeney clearly won the deadline of pretty much anybody who made moves uh, with those three acquisitions. Lazar has really solidified the bottom six as well in his role. He's a guy that they can kick out to wing, and, and he's just added more options to that fourth and, and even third line because now you can move Sean Corrali up into the third line. Uh, as Charlie Coyle's been banged up. So just the, the number of options that Bruce Cassidy now has with Curtis Lazar being available in the lineup. I would like to see Riley as a third-pairing defenseman, but right now they just don't have the bodies. I think with Lausanne out, you have to slot him in in that uh, left side on the second pairing. So it, it's it's going to be interesting. You know, Obviously, we, we saw they went to Jared Tenorti over a young guy like Vakaninen, uh, when Kevin Miller went down, Kevin Miller sounds like he's going to be out for quite some time. So, you know, we'll have to see when Lausanne is able to jump in in the next series, if it's game one, if it's game three. But the biggest thing that this Bruins team did against the Capitals was make adjustments. They made adjustments to their lineups and they made adjustments on the power play. Washington didn't. Right. Um, yeah, you know, that was a real interesting series where you guys had really good defensemen too, Kyle. I know you we're big on this series too, because obviously the Islanders are going to play the winner if they win. So Charlie McAvoy is a guy I happen to like, I think he's a top defenseman in the NHL. What do you guys think of him personally? Do you think um, he helps carry that defense? 
I think that without a doubt, he helps he helps carry that defense. Uh, you know, throughout the season, what I heard from a lot of Bo- uh, Boston fans is that that's been a position, not that they've lacked, but it's been so depleted due to injury that he's been kind of the, not the diamond in the rough, but kind of the one bright spot left on this def- defense as they've kind of gained their health back a little bit. Uh, also, I believe he's a Long Beach guy, so representing Long Island properly. But uh, yes. he's, he's definitely one of the, the better defensemen in hockey. But what goes with that as well is that a lot of these guys, you know, a lot's what's perceived in the league is a lot of people look at points instead of what the guy is actually doing with his defensive abilities. That's where McAvoy comes into play where, yes, he's not the guy that's going to drop 50, 60 points as a defenseman, but he'll give you 30-plus points in a season, and he'll be really good at defense. Or a lot of these other defensemen that you're seeing brought to the table, especially nowadays, they give you that offensive ability. They are part of a lot of plays, but they're lacking in some areas in which they're supposed to be at their best standpoint, where McAvoy doesn't necessarily have that issue. Yeah, for a guy that averages over 22 minutes a night over the over his four-year, over 230-game career, he's a plus 80 as yeah. a top four defenseman. That's that right there. I mean, I'm not a huge plus-minus guy. I, I, I hate the stat, but it does tell over a, a large picture of time uh, a, a lot about a player, especially when it's like plus 80. If he was like plus three, then it's a very different kind of story there. But as a plus 80, this guy is strong defensively. He doesn't give a lot of turnovers. And when his teammates do, he's there. He makes sure that there's more offensive output when he's on the ice than than they're in their own defensive zone. He gets a lot of defensive zone time being on the ice for 22 minutes a game. Right. Now, that's a good – now, I kind of want to put this into the big picture here, Chris. The Bruins are moving on. But how far do you think this team can go in the playoffs? Do you think they could go all the way? Do you think they make it to the conference finals? Where's your head at right now, if you had to take a guess? I mean, this team is definitely capable of getting to the finals. They're capable of winning it. I mean, we've seen at their best, they're capable of beating anybody. Um, I think their biggest roadblocks are going to be whoever comes out of the Vegas, Minnesota series or Colorado series, whichever one of those teams advance out of there. Um, and then, of course, whoever advances from the South. I mean, Tampa Bay is a $100 million roster squeezed in at $80 million because, let's face it, they, they circumvented the cap. It is what it is. They did it legally. Nobody can complain about it. Anybody could have done it. But that's what happens when you have a $100 million team for $80 million. You get the Tampa Bay Lightning. So it's going to be interesting to see. I think for them it comes down to matchups. If they face a team like the Islanders, they're going to be a lot more banged up going into that third series, what would be the conference finals. So it, it's going to be very interesting, but they're absolutely capable of winning the whole thing. I mean, if Tuka Rask can keep up a save percentage of 95 plus and, you know, goals against of one and a half, there's no, there's nothing that's going to stop this team. It's very interesting. Kyle, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. When you look at the rest of the, the left-handed side of the bracket and the teams that they would eventually have to face potentially, you know, I think that they could, again, like Chris said, if they play the Islanders, I think it'll be a, a rough and gritty, probably six, seven game series, but I could see them coming out victorious in that series. And the same thing against the Pittsburgh Penguins. And then you look at the North in which they would have to then embark upon, you know, Toronto's another team who I think will wind up beating Montreal. I think the thing keeping them Montreal in this series is the carry price effect, because we know he's one of the most dominant goaltenders of all time and will go down as one of the most dominant goaltenders of all time. That, Toronto, yeah, that. Yeah. And uh, John Tavares getting hurt. 
Uh, yeah, I was going to say that entire series for Toronto. I still think they're the better team and make it out, but that completely changes Toronto's playoff fortunes entirely. I think they're going to run into a wagon in Winnipeg because Con- Connor Hellebuck has proven. I mean, if you can shut down Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, the two best players on the planet, Austin Matthews and Mitch, and you know Mitch Marner and uh, William Nylander are going to be nothing for you. Yeah, and they're also missing another thing too. Was you know the status of Kadri as well is that he could potentially miss all of this Winnipeg series or at least the first couple of games, depending on what the appeal goes for. I think he's in game two of the suspension now potentially. I don't know how much it could get lowered at this point in time off the remaining maybe six or five games left, uh, but we'll see what happens with that as they go to potentially face Winnipeg. I think they play tonight, so if they do win, only one more game left against Montreal potentially. That can also have a tremendous impact well, Kadri, on what happens. Kadri's, in got, Kadri's with Colorado. He's got his appeal. Oh, I'm, I'm thinking of I'm thinking of old Cod. Yeah, thank you for catching me. Thank you for catching me. Used to be with Toronto, but yeah, his appeals on Thursday, from what I was just uh, paying attention to. So, uh, but yeah, no, that that's gonna that could Nazem Kadri for the third year in a row getting suspended in the playoffs. You know, I mean, we were just talking about the the West Colorado. That's gonna affect them uh, tremendously, but. It would be a very different series if Toronto still had Kadri because they'd be relying on him to take the place of John Tavares. So you know, they, it, it just when when your number two center, who's the quality of a number one, goes down. I mean, Boston's another perfect example. If Bergeron or Krejci go down, and you've got to slide Coil into that into that spot, it's it's a way different lineup. Right. I want to shout out a quick comment here from Connor Robinson. Lads, lads, lads. Shout out Connor. Make sure to go check him out at Down the Block Sports. They just How are we doing, Connor? Has a new uh, YouTube channel. So make sure to go check out him and Alec Wall. So they put out a lot of good stuff. Also, Kyle, I think Con- Connor was a participant in our draft challenge for the New Orleans Saints uh, with that Peyton Turner pick there on night one. So thank you very much for helping us out with that. Really do appreciate the support. From Chris, the fans, Chris, real quick, and because it's on the it's on the series of the Bruins. Obviously, you guys face the Capitals, and you know stuff coming out today. So many rumors attached to Alex Ovechkin. You know, now being up after that thirteen year contract, I don't think there's any way in which he leaves the NHL. But w- what's your take? It's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out. Um, Washington, not next year, but after next year, they've got so many big names coming off the books. That next year to re-sign Ovechkin to a big contract, uh, I want to say they have something like uh, about eighteen million in cap space that they have to work with this coming off season, and they're not losing a ton of guys. But Vitek Vanacek is a guy who needs to be re-signed. They're losing Justin Schultz, and then the following year they're losing a couple defensemen, and then the biggest names are Wilson, Ellers, Haglin, and Hathaway. Those are some really strong depth pieces that this team has that if you sign Ovechkin to another big contract, 10, 12, 13 million dollars, as some people are talking, even if it's short term, you don't get those guys back. And now you're stuck with an aging Ovechkin, a 30 plus year Backstrom, almost 30 years old in Kuznetsov, 35 years old in TJ Oshie. Your team's all over 35 and you've got no money to spend on young kids. Yeah. And this year we, we saw that this team still has no character, no poise. They can't control themselves in the playoffs. And if you still have Tom Wilson doing the Tom Wilson things and hurting players and getting suspended, this team's going to go nowhere. So 
throwing a bunch of money at Ovechkin is not a smart move, but I don't think he wants to go anywhere else either. So it's going to be very interesting. I think he's selling his back right back in that nine to nine and a half range. I don't see them really coming off of that number. And I don't think he really feels the need to come off that number because he, he just played at that number for 13 years. Yeah. Why does he need to demand more all of a sudden? At an older age, nonetheless. I yeah. agree with that. I, I have the same stance on Ovechkin. I think he's going to come back. Obviously, not a long-term deal. The guy's getting up there in age. Uh, but, you know, a relatively short contract that can hopefully extend Washington's window to win, but they have trouble winning series year in and year out in these playoffs. So uh, that division's tough. Division's tough. So, yeah, yeah I, I think I think for them, their sweet spot should be that four years or so range for Ovechkin because um, that's where you have guys like, you know, Backstrom, Kuznetsov, and Oshie, and, and that, that's when those guys start to run out. So if you can keep that general core together, they just got to be able to hit on some draft picks, get some young talent in there, and and that's going to be their biggest issue. I mean, that, that's part of why they let Braden Holtby go because of his contract that he was going to be going. You have to hope that Vitek Vanacek takes some sort of a, a multi-year bridge deal. Sam Sonoff, when his turn comes up, like – you've got a little bit of dead money coming off and Copley and, and raffle in the next couple of years, but it, it's, it's not even 2 million. It's not enough. They got to be real careful. It's definitely a good point. Um, let's move on to the Carolina Nashville series. Uh, Kyle Nashville won game four, four to three in double OT. Uh, Luke Cunningham had the game-winning goal, had two goals for the game, and Brock McGinn, who's a nice young uh, star down in Carolina, had two goals for the Canes. Canes held the edge in shots on goals, 61-43, to but now the series is all locked in at two with game five tonight in Carolina at 8 p.m., so that should be a very interesting game. Yeah, it should definitely be an interesting game. I, uh, Tom, we talked with uh, Connor Walsh about a uh, couple weeks ago, something like that, about a month ago or so about this Nashville Predators team, where we thought they stand. And I thought their season was such a, a roller coaster. Who knew that they'd even be in this point to potentially contend? One of the harder teams hit by injury and, and COVID. You look at this team, the deadline, almost you know all their brand names were on that deadline list of Arvidsson, Grunlin, Forsberg was hurt. The Duchesne experiment has not worked at all whatsoever since he's been there. Um so they were a team that you ba- that was barely treading water, and Benefact uh, was a beneficiary off the fact that Dallas just had a horrible second half of April and a really bad, you know, May to end off the season. That's why they made the playoffs, barely getting in four points over Dallas. Now you see Carolina takes a two nothing uh, lead over them, and you pretty much close it in the books because how often do teams come back after being down two zero? Uh, not more often than not. And now they fight themselves all the way back due to really good goaltending and guys stepping up. And there's seriously, you know, some argument to be said. If Nashville wins tonight, they're beating Carolina, who people had as a real not underdog team, but a real quiet team to be in that contention for the Cup this year. And they knocked them out in the first round, potentially. Absolutely. And Alec Walt with a comment saying, let's go Bruins. Alec Walt also from Down the Block Sports. What I think about Carolina is that I remember two years ago when Rob Brindamore – look, this was a, this is still a very young hockey team, guys, and 
it's a little concerning because Carolina was ahead in the series 2-0. They've lost the last two in double OT, actually. Nashville's won the last two in double OT. Carolina took such a young team to the Eastern Conference Finals where they weren't supposed to be there. Chris, what do you think about this Hurricanes team? I think they could be resilient to come back and win this series. Um, I mean, the thing with Carolina is their average age is about 27 years old. They're still a very, very young team. Their offense is led by Ajo, who's early 20s, um, Svechnikov, who's early 20s, and um, Teravainen, who's also in his early 20s. I mean, your, your veteran guys consist of, like, Dougie Hamilton, who's late 20s, you know, Jesper Fast, who's 29, 30, somewhere in that range. This team overall is still really young and I think this is going to be a growing year for him. I, I, Dylan and I talked about it going into the playoff bubble last year that or really when they were coming out of it that this year was going to be an important year for them and I think the biggest thing they found for them was their goaltender. Nedeljkovic has proven that he can be the team the, the guy that backstops this team in a playoff run. He's playing that well. They just they were relying on guys like Reimer and and Morozik and you know this goalie and that goalie. They didn't have it solidified, but they had good enough. And now with a guy like Nedeljkovic, they have someone that they can build out from the net out with and really solidify. I do think getting a guy like Nino Niederreiter has really helped. Again, he's still late twenties though, so as someone who's been in the playoffs but hasn't won anything, you really have to take a look at the leadership of this team and figure out who's going to be the, the guy who helps get them to that next level. They're really, really close, but I can definitely see them losing this series to Nashville and having something to build off of. That's true because Nashville, obviously, they haven't played. I mean, they haven't been in the same conference. They're only playing because of the whole division thing this year, right? So that's a little bit of unfamiliar territory for them to begin with. Um, I know Sebastian Ajo has, has been a good young player for them, but – you know, this lineup has to get that experience like you've been mentioning. And this could be, you know, a humbling defeat if they do fall to Nashville. But do you – so you're going with Nashville in this series? Kyle, did you uh, did you pick this series? I think I'm going to go with Nashville only. I'm not sorry, uh, Carolina only because I'm a fan of the underdog. I kind of want to see them make a little run again if they can potentially knock somebody out. I'm also – Obviously, I'm a New Yorker. I'm not the biggest Boston fan, but I don't hate Boston like most New Yorkers do because uh, I'm a Giants and Mets fan, so you get the little you get the little reverse combo there. But, uh, Kyle, who do you have in this series? I'm going to have Carolina in the series. If you look at the two wins that Nashville does, had, uh, does have, it took two overtimes in both games to take them to kind of cancel out Carolina. I don't see that being the chance once again. So I'm going to go with Carolina because, again, they haven't had problems goal scoring either. That hasn't been the issue. It's more so just closing out and regulation. Yeah, Nashville seems to have turned a corner. Um, they were playing really sloppily, as you were talking, uh, before the deadline, and, and that's why all those names were coming up, the Granlins and the Roman Yossis and you know Eckholms, and just every name seemed to have been thrown out there in some sort of trade talk, Philip Forsberg, Matt Duchesne. But towards the end of the season, they found their game again, and now – I think I have a different perspective on those team, those games going to double overtime because they fought back in those games. They proved that they can stick with Carolina. They're gaining confidence in those games, and they have a bit more of that experience, and they have 
the better goaltender. I think at the end of the day, the ceiling for UC Soros is higher than Nedeljkovic, but they're close. And all it takes, I mean, this, this looks like it's going to go seven. And if it goes seven, I think in a seventh game, the, the Predators, they have the guys like the Pecorines and the Ryan Ellis and the Roman Yossis, the guys who've been there before, Matt Duchesne, they have just enough that they can get over that hump, even though some of their guys are younger, the, the Trennans and the Coonins and, you know, the Dante Fabros of, you know, Eli Tolvanen has been scoring a lot of their goals. So they're relying on youngsters, but they have more veteran guys who have been on this team who have lost. Some of those guys are still around from that Stanley Cup run, and they know what it's like to lose that cup. I don't think Nashville's going to give this series up easily. That's a very propelling point. It'll be interesting to see if that game does go, if that series does go to seven, what will happen. But the next series we're going to talk about is a series that I'm really excited to discuss because every Rangers fan typically roots for this team if the, the Rangers are out. That is the Tampa Bay Lightning taking <laughs> on the Florida Panthers. So the Battle of Florida, the Lightning lead the series three to two. Uh, they won game four, but they did lose last night. Huberdeau has been outstanding. Um, rookie Owen Tippett has been good for the Panthers in this series. Nikita Kucherov's been on his game for the Lightning. But tough loss for Tampa Bay last night, losing 4-1. to one. You guys were talking about rookie goalie Spencer Knight, who's only 20 years old right before we went live tonight. That kid is something special. He's undefeated. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's only been five games. Let's not yeah. mark him as Martin Brodeur or Patrick Waugh. But, yes, he's 5-0 and in his career in the NHL. I, the thing that catches me about Spencer Knight, and you see it with uh, Nedeljkovic even, Jeremy Swayman, a lot of these young rookie goaltenders, is their poise. Even if they give up a, a goal, they just sit there. They're just out there having fun, and nothing seems to get to them. And they'll make a high-pressure save, and then you see them – leaning up against their goal, laughing with their teammates. Like, yeah, this is, you know, to them, they're just playing hockey with their buddies. And I think that's the best thing for them. Spencer Knight is going to be the reason why, if the Panthers end up winning this series, why they end up stealing the series. And I'm saying they would steal the series, one, because they were down in it, but two, Tampa Bay is not the standard low-class seating. Again, you know, we, we were talking about it before, as you were saying, they're a $100 million roster at an $80 million cap. They've let Kucherov and Stamkos sit on LTIR all season pretty much and just activate them. That was my biggest question. How were they going to look coming into the series, essentially coming off the bench cold, and they've looked fine. Should have expected it. So it's going to be a hell of a series, but Spencer Knight is – going to be the reason why Florida takes this if, if they're able to to make the comeback and, and take the series. Yeah, no doubt about it. You know, Chris, you talked about poise that Knight has as such a young goaltender against this absolutely lethal offense, but being essentially the third string for the majority of the season behind a guy in Bobrovsky, who was your 70, $80 million man goaltender who just got acquired last off season, uh, a guy in Dreiger who had almost a 930 save percentage all year was really, really good, and he's getting shut down. And now Knight comes in in a game pressure situation where it's either you win this game or you go home, and he looks flawless. He holds Nikita Kucherov going into that game in the first four games in the series. Kucherov had a combined nine points. 
nine points. He's absolutely unbelievable. But Spencer Knight is the guy that holds him pointless on four shots on goal. And then you look at the rest of the crew that Tampa has to throw out them with a McDonough, with a Stamkos, with a Plot, like a Tyler Johnson, uh, Strawman. The list goes on and on and on and on. And the fact that he's able to hold and contain this team to one goal is highly impressive. Now, what he does the remaining two games, if it does reach a game seven, that'll really be the tall telling tale. Because like you said, Chris, while this team was a low seed in Tampa, it was more so the fact that they weren't at full strength all year round, holding guys like Stamkos, holding guys like Kutrov out for playoff time so that they can do this and force themselves upon other teams in such a dominant way. But Knight has been a good answer, at least for yesterday's game. The thing with Knight was there was no pressure going on to him, on him going into that game because if they lose, 20-year-old rookie, they're already down, their other goaltenders failed. You know, going, you're going against the one of the best teams of all time in the Lightning and arguably a team that can go back-to-back. I mean, we've seen it, what, two of the last three decades, a team go back-to-back. So who's going to sit there and rip Spencer Knight apart if he goes out and loses or lays an egg? Absolutely nobody. So he goes out, just plays his game, is the shows why he was the 13th overall pick in the draft. And all, lo and behold, his team plays well in front of him. All he has to do is keep giving up one or two goals and, and they'll be fine. Yeah, I got to say, I agree with you guys. It'll be interesting to see how Spencer Knight performs if he gets the uh, green light in net. He obviously 36 saves in his playoff debut. Local kid from Darien, Connecticut, not too far from uh, me. And then uh, Knight played in only four games. Panthers won all four of those games. So it'll be interesting to see. And Kevin Fitzmorris in the comments section, what's up, boys? What's up, Fitz? Make sure to go check out Kevin Fitzmorris, Chris Nosek, and all of their team on JDF Sports. They have a lot of good content. And obviously, Chris will be live tonight at 9 with Puck Off. And Chris, he has a question for you. How I know we touched upon this earlier a little bit. How impressed have you been with Hall in this series? Do you think that move really helped Boston move up? Oh, 100%. I mean, you can also see it. The, the funny thing is, is in Taylor Hall's play, you can see a change in David Krejci's play because he's happy to finally have a consistent winger on his side who can put the puck in the net, something he hasn't had since Nathan Horton was in town. Yeah, there was a little bit of a spell with Jerome McGinley, but if he had come when they first tried to trade him, when he decided to go to Pittsburgh and give Boston the finger – that would have been different, but in, instead he chose that path. And then even when you got him, he was not—he was a shell of himself. He's not what he was when you were trying to get him. And you know, Rick Nash, that kind of sort of worked for a little bit. Then concussions came up, and now he's finally got someone. I mean, Taylor Hall's still sub thirty. He's not even thirty years old yet. And the the chemistry that these two show. They're both reinvigorated, and I think they're both back next year in a Bruins uniform. I think this is where they both want to be. Kyle, do you have anything to add on that? I think this is really a good acquisition for Boston that kind of put them into gear. I think they're better than a three seed. Um, Obviously, playing in that division is very brutal. So you can make the argument the Rangers would be in the playoffs if they weren't in that division. So. It's definitely going to be fun to watch who comes out of this division. I think just to add, you know, onto what we've already said and now on this topping point as well is that, you know, all I thought was the, that was the best acquisition at the deadline. And I know, I knew immediately that he had an impact just going from one team standpoint to another, just based on the fact that it's common sense, you know, 
you're going from a team with no talent that's losing, what, 18 games straight, coaches on the hot seat, gets fired, one of the worst organizations in hockey, to one of the standards in terms of professionalism and producing great teams each year and each, each year and being competitive most relatively uh, most uh, recently. And here they are adding to a team in Marshawn, adding to a team in Bergeron, adding to a team in Pasternak. And then you add Taylor Hall in that lineup, and there you go, boom, 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 13 points in 16 games. And now you get to the playoffs, and it's that same type of standpoint that we saw a couple years back. That's the Taylor Hall that we noticed, not the Arizona Coyotes team where he's playing with young players and Phil Kessel, not the Jack Eichelis Buffalo Sabres uh, playing with Sam Reinhardt, who's a good player, but that's really it, and that's not even a household name, to going with this dominant big three in Boston now, you're going to be much more competitive. Where it's interesting to me, and I'm not a cap guy, but what's interesting to me is this, is that he was willing to, in a sense, sacrifice a year of his career, like you said, Chris, to choose uh, a team over Boston, which you said he was interested when he got uh, when he was drafted to go to there and was disappointed by going to Edmonton, and then an opportunity to sign with them in the offseason, yet that mentality to still go with the money. I'd like to see after having a solid second half of the season with Boston and having a solid playoff stint, depending on how far they get, if that would be the same mentality and mindset. I think the biggest thing that you've seen with Taylor Hall is a weight lifted off of his shoulders from having to be, quote-unquote, the guy. If All those other teams that you mentioned, Edmonton, New Jersey, and Arizona, if Taylor Hall was not the first or second name out of your mouth, it was then you, did, then you were not watching the team. If you pay attention to Boston, you can say three, four, five names of importance before you even get to Taylor Hall. And I think he really likes that and thrives on that and that he would rather be the guy that gets overlooked because of all the other players that you want to look at at a microscope. And I think there, there was some discussion uh, earlier in the week on a uh, Boston sports station, they were talking about Kyrie and Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant's more the the, the quiet guy who, with a lot of talent, whereas Kyrie is the guy that likes to be in front of the camera. He wants the attention. He's still talented, but th- you know when it comes to Taylor Hall, he's more of that Durant kind of guy. He doesn't want the attention. He doesn't want the 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 limelight, but he has the talent that's going to attract it to him. So if he's one of the top three guys on your team. He's gonna, it's gonna distract him. It's gonna deter from his game. And in Boston, where you've got the Bergerons, the Marshans, Pasternak, Krejci, and then McAvoy and Carlo and Rask, like Rask is this team's fan punching bag and not Taylor Hall. Taylor Hall can go out and suck for the next five games, and Rask is the one who's gonna get blamed if they lose. So for him, it's, it's heaven. Why wouldn't he wanna come back? I love agree. This little, I agree. I love this little mini Taylor Hall discussion we have going on here. <laughs> um, we do have another comment. It's from James. Let's go, Avs. Love watching those West Coast games. Chris, what do you think of those West Coast games? Do you typically stay up late to watch uh, West Coast hockey games? Uh, I I could not make it through the uh, the double OT in Winnipeg and, and Edmonton last night. I tried to, uh, but I, I think. Edmonton has shown that they're still not there. Uh, they need more than just the two best goal scorers in the league, and and they have it. But you know, this year I think finishing second for them, same thing to Pittsburgh finishing in first, was a little bit of a fluke. It wasn't something that anybody expected. 
Um, you know, Toronto, you know, they're more of an East Coast matchup with with Montreal. So that's a little bit more my time zone. Um, but, you know, that John Tavares injury is going to be crucial for them. The, you know, Colorado, I mean, that series was over before you even blinked. St. Louis really had no <laughs> shot there. Uh, yeah. And anybody who picked St. Louis over Colorado, uh, they were just hoping to hit the long shot. I, 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 nobody in their right mind would have picked St. Louis in, even if you said in seven, it just doesn't make any sense because Colorado is just a wagon. Grubauer's playing fantastic. They've got the youth. What's going to be very interesting is that, you know, that Vegas, Minnesota series, Minnesota gave Vegas, you know, fits all season long. And now, now Vegas is up three, two in the series. So, that's going to be an interesting one. Their defense is a little bit banged up, and they don't have the depth. You know, we were talking about Boston going 11, 12, 13 defensemen deep earlier in the season. Vegas does not have that luxury. They are right up against the cap. They're paying almost, uh, like, I want to say about $14 million in goaltending. And don't get me wrong, they've been worth every diamond dollar of it, but it comes from somewhere else. And for them, it's been in their defense and they're a little bit banged up. So it'll be very interesting to see if Minnesota can capitalize on that. Kaprizov, Ek, Ek, uh, Oliver Ekman, uh, Ek or whatever, um, you know, he got the OT winner the other day. That's it, 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 going to be a hell of a series to keep watching. And uh, that one I will be staying up for. Awesome. Yeah, I know we touched more upon the Eastern, uh, I guess we'll call it Eastern Conference games here tonight. Uh, uh, we do um, want to get your cup prediction, um, if, if you have one currently at the moment, before uh, – I don't want to look too far in, into the sunset. Oh but uh, <laughs> Matchup-wise, uh, I, I can definitely see it coming down to Vegas and Tampa, but I can all – I mean, there's, there's, there's a number of different scenarios that if you were to tell me, I would tell you, yeah, 100%, you know – Vegas and Tampa, you know, Boston and Colorado, Colorado and Tampa, Boston and Vegas, like all, those, those are going to be your final four teams. I'll put it that way. How those series go, those are all going to go seven. And then whichever team is the healthiest at the end of the conference final and then the cup final, that team's going to end up being the one hoisting the cup at the very end. And for me, and I'm not just saying this as a fan of the team, but Boston has a ton of depth. And it's been tested over the course of the season. So for me, Boston has a very strong chance at it. But I do worry about when they play those teams because those teams are just so damn good. Yeah, I mean, I'll be – I mean, it's hard for me to not pick Tampa to make it there. Tampa Bay Vegas is probably a very popular pick. That's actually what I've been leaning towards. I do think Boston – makes the conference finals. I do think they'll be able to beat the winner of this series, regardless of who it is. But um, yeah, I'm more leaning towards that Tampa Bay Vegas matchup. Kyle, where's your head at? I really like Colorado Tampa. And the reason why I say that is because I thought Colorado was going to win the cup last year. If it wasn't for Grubauer going down, I I think they win it. I, I think it's, it's, Maybe a little bit of debate how they would have played against Tampa if they matched up with them against the Cup, but I think they definitely would have made it there versus not having him. And then Dallas has the run they get with Kadobin and make it all the way to the Cup. I think that would have been Colorado. 
and that would have been a six, seven game series potentially against the Tampa. And I think that this is potentially their time where they're already done. They're well rested. They're a team that doesn't seem to have any pace and change of, of slowing down between Nathan McKinnon just absolutely being, you know, we talk about McDavid all the time. McKinnon is McKinnon is not there, but McKinnon's the guy that's winning at the highest of levels. McDavid's not winning at the highest of levels. He's right knocking now. on their door for sure. He's he's right there. McKinnon so is Marchand, though. Marchand has finished third to those two guys in the last like three seasons when it comes to points. So Boston has their own guy in that race. No, absolutely. And there's no doubt about it. But then when you look at the rest of the team, they're a team that's, you know, I'm a big Devontae's guy, former Islander. Still don't get the trade, but love him. Uh, Landeskov, uh, McKinnon, Kale McCarr, uh, Grubauer. Kadri, playing well. Yeah, Kadri when he gets back. It's, it's unbelievable, the team that they've been able to establish. And, you know, there's more players that I'm obviously missing, but they've just built such a unit and dominant force that there's really no flaw within their game unless a guy as important of a Grubauer goes down, which is why they lost last year. Otherwise, I think they would have gotten to that point. So that's what I see, and I think that that could potentially give us the bench, the best Stanley Cup matchup because of what they have to offer defensively against a team like Tampa that's so heavy offensively. But a guy like Marc-Andre Fleury can shut those guys down. And You're right, absolutely right. You're and absolutely that's right. It's so much more fun to watch. If you look at my buddy. The talent yeah. you just mentioned, yeah. completely neutralized by one guy in Marc-Andre Fleury, and next thing you know, Vegas is in the cup final. If you look at the, if you look at the season series, because I'm, I'm, I'm a hockey guy. I'm not the biggest of hockey guys, so I talked to my friend. He's a huge hockey guy. We were talking about it last night or the night prior, just what the season series looked like for Vegas against Colorado, if there was any sort of edge. And it was splitting hairs between the yep. goaltending, between offensive production. I think they split and wins on the series. So it's going to be – it's going to go right to that seven games. There's no doubt in my mind. But I think Colorado might have the edge overall. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. Series. It's hard because I like the veteran presence of Marc-Andre Fleury and Nett, but I also like Nate McKinnon and Gabriel Landeskog. I, I like what they're able to produce offensively in that series alone. In four games against St. Louis, McKinnon had nine points. He had six goals. That's unheard of. It's absolutely so, insane. It is insane, and I, I'm pretty sure he's still the – I don't know if he is now. I think um, that guy from Florida leads uh, the NHL in points currently for the playoffs, Huberdeau. But Huberdeau. Yeah, Huberto and Kucherov are both up there. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if that's what the series comes down to. And those are the two teams I'd love to see in that conference final. But, Chris, uh, is there anything you want to add here before we uh, let you go tonight? It's been a lot of fun. No, it's been a blast. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, you know, it, it's definitely going to be an interesting an interesting night tonight with the two games that are on. But it's going to be a hell of a playoff going forward. and. I get it. Some people may have tuned out the the Toronto-Montreal matchups or the Colorado-St. Louis, but once you start seeing Colorado, even if they're playing Minnesota, that's still going to be a hell of a series because if Minnesota can overcome Vegas, they're going to have a huge boost in confidence, and and that's still going to go you know six or seven solid games, couple in overtime for sure, but that Colorado next Colorado series, Winnipeg when they're taking on Toronto because I think they'll put Montreal away. Like this next set of series is when the playoff switch is really going to be flipped and you're going to see a massive difference between round one and round two so if you haven't been tuning in yet now's the time to start for sure 
excellent. I completely agree. Hockey is the most unpredictable playoff of the big four sports, in my personal opinion. So that's what makes it so much fun to watch every year. We saw the Blues win the Cup a couple of years ago. Last year we saw Tampa Bay, and now who knows? So, But on that note, Chris, uh, make sure um, if you can just plug uh, Puck off one more time where the listeners can view that tonight. Absolutely. Dylan and I will be on tonight at 9 o'clock. Puck off on JDF Sports. Check us out. We'll be on YouTube and Facebook, Twitter, and we'll also be on Twitch as well. Uh, streaming live so definitely welcome all your comments and questions and if you're a first-time hockey fan to diehard fan we want to hear from you for sure uh, we're going to be talking these exact same playoff matchups uh, the second round as it's lining up to be who we think will be in there and um, it's just gonna be a hell of a show so really looking forward to it again tonight at nine on jdf sports every tuesday we're going to be going right up through uh, through the summer because there's a lot of hockey going on this summer with the expansion draft coming up as well. So, Awesome. Thank you so much, Chris, for sharing that with us. Really appreciate you joining us here tonight. And we will be tuning into your show at 9, so really do appreciate you joining us again. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. Have a good one, man. Thanks, Thanks Chris. Take care. All right. So – that was Chris Nosek of JDF Sports, the co-host of Puck Off, which that will air tonight at 9. Looking forward to catching that, talking some more hockey playoff matchups. Kyle, uh, I still feel like the Avs could make it to the Cup, but I just I don't want to put them there. I just don't want to put them there. I really like Vegas coming out because, I mean, they've won three straight against Minnesota uh, before last night. They were down one nothing in the series, and I just really like what they have goaltending wise. They they get a lot of shots out there, and you know it's hard for me to not pick them. But usually I mean, when I do pick them, they don't succeed. Listen, if, if you were to have to, you know, if only we could live in a perfect world, and one team would be in the Eastern Conference and one team would be in the West, that would be essentially, I would think, for most people's takes, that would be the Stanley Cup matchup. That's just not the case scenario. They'd have to play each other in the. Uh, Absolutely, Max. Let's go Islanders. There we go, baby. Going back to Nassau tomorrow. Uh, but if you were to have to pick them in the second round, it's so tough because that's a cup matchup right there. That's something you want to see in the Stanley Cup, not the second round. It just comes to one dog being tougher than the other and coming out of that series. And for me, while I love Robin Lander, what he has to offer, Mark andre Fleury being one of the most dominant goaltenders of all time will probably go down as one of the top five goaltenders of all time. I love the swagger that they have. It's it's Vegas, the gold, the black jerseys, the logo. The organization has spilt themselves such a stature, yet they've only been in the league for four years, going to the Cup in their inaugural season, adding all the talent they have between uh, Alec Martinez last year, Max Pacioretty, uh, bringing in one of the prime defenders in the offseason, and Petrangelo somehow having this money allocated and being able to spend, and they're so deep. But Colorado, I just feel – has such a chemistry because a lot of these guys have been there for a while now. There's there's pieces added to the team, don't get me wrong, like a Kadri is a newer face, a Taze is a newer face, but the core has been together for a decent time now. And I think that n- doesn't give you an edge, but I think that in a sense they have some sort of end goal, especially based on how they ended off last season with that disappointing feat based on the Grubauer injury. I think that's what's driving this force as powerful as they are. And we're seeing it, like you said, Tom, nine points 
from McKinnon, six goals, I think you said, in four games yeah. against the playoff team. It's insane. Well, it's going to be a very fun series if we get there because, in my opinion, it's offense versus defense between those two teams. I mean, they gave up only four goals, Vegas did, in the first four games of the series to the Wild total. That's yeah. not a lot, but yet they haven't put them away yet. They're only up three to two in the series. So I do think they'll come out of it, whether it's in six or seven. That game six will be tomorrow night in Minnesota. So Minnesota's going to have to win that game to stay alive. And real quick, don't get me wrong either. While, while St. Louis and Vegas, you know, Vegas obviously being way better than St. Louis is at this point in time, they average Colorado five goals a game in this playoff series. I mean, that for any goaltender is going to be hard to quietly shut down against such a dominant offense for the Colorado Av- uh, Avalanche. You're right. You are right with that. Now, the other two series, we touched upon them briefly with Chris, but Edmonton was washed by Winnipeg. I don't even know if we want to talk about that, but Winnipeg won these four games in their sleep. Uh, Nate Allers had a brutal game-winning goal in game three. Connor McDavid was held without a point in the first three games of the series. And then they didn't have – the Oilers didn't have Josh Archibald for game four after he clipped Jets defenseman Logan Stanley. So this whole series was a disaster for Edmonton. Yeah, it was – and, again, this is another team we talk about standpoints and future. And I know McDavid, he's a, he's a class act, handled himself beautifully today in front of the media. But for me personally, not that I don't buy it, but, again, would he love to win in Edmonton? Of course, if you're a, if you're a true fan of the sport, there's nothing more than you love see, seeing a team evolve over time and building and winning where you were first drafted from. That's why I like Av- the Avalanche as much as I do. Having a guy in McKinnon who's been there his entire career, McCarr, a guy who's been there forever, uh, a guy, uh, not forever, but his entire career, a guy in Landeskov who's been there forever. I, I like to see that. But with McDavid, he's such a tremendous talent. I look at this team, I just don't know how you improve You know, from where you are. You have two of the best players, if not the two best players in all of hockey on the same unit. Each can give you 100 points a year. The regular season doesn't matter. It comes to playing in the playoff. And when you look at the squad, they're not a bad squad. They added Tyson Barry in the offseason, which was one of the prime defensemen besides Petrangelo, uh, who got taken by Vegas. He's really good. You look at other guys like Chason, who was pretty good in the series as well. Um, uh, Adam uh, Adam Larson, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, uh, Darnell Nurse, uh, Yamamoto. Mike Smith wasn't a bad goaltender this year by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, there are a lot of guys on this unit. I looked at it last night that are free agents. Hopkins is a free agent. Uh, Larson, I think, is a free agent. Yamamoto's a free agent. And Mike Smith, while he was a good goaltender, he's an aging goaltender, which I don't know if you can necessarily bank on the fact for future and future competition. And the fact that they weren't even able to pull a game against this Winnipeg team, which a lot of team, uh, a lot of people I know in the beginning of the season had not written them off, but weren't counting on them to be a sticking point in the playoffs, let alone a, a dominant force shutting down arguably the best two players in all of hockey. I mean, that's uh, – I don't know where you improve from a team standpoint, whether that comes from coaching, whether that comes from experience in playoff situations. I don't know, but it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with Edmonton going forward because uh, I give it this season for McDavid, another season with him, but if they don't if they don't perform next season up to that same level or moving past the first round and competing for the Cup, I don't know where his future stands, even though he's locked up long-term on a contract. 
Yeah, it's rough because he's a young player, but that team is having a little trouble right now. And it was just brutal last night watching that game go into triple overtime Yeah, where Kyle, Kyle Connor scored the game winner. McDavid finally scored a goal. It was the only goal of the series, but it was not yeah. good enough. Mark Shifley and Kyle Connor brought their A game, advancing Winnipeg to the second round, and Edmonton goes home empty-handed. So that was rough. And then the last series, of course, the series that Chris was saying that nobody wants to talk about. Uh, the Maple Leafs uh, and the Canadians. The Maple Leafs lead two to one. That game's actually underway. There is no score midway through the first period. Maple Leafs with five shots on goal. But the big story is Montreal defenseman Shea Weber got fined five thousand dollars for cross-checking Wayne Simmons. I don't know if you saw this play, if you saw a highlight of this play, but it's definitely not good. It's not professional, especially at this stage of the playoffs. It should not be tolerated. Um, I, it's I gonna, didn't, it's going to hurt them tonight. Yeah, it'll definitely hurt them defensively, especially against such a dominant offense like Toronto has, even without even without a John Tavares, uh, obviously due to concussion. But, again, what Montreal, I was saying it uh, prior with Chris, is that through these first three games – you know, carry price is really the sticking point that's keeping them within this series and afloat. Um, even though they gave up five goals in game uh, two, and I want to say two goals in game uh, in game three, but again, they're not having the same support offensively. I, I believe they have a total of four goals in the first three games uh, overall. That's it's just not enough to win hockey games. There's only so much that your goaltender can do, which he's obviously doing. And I think that that's why people don't forget about it, but neglect it because at the end of the day, Toronto should be there. And even if Montreal does get there, it'll be because of Carey Price. And then afterwards, how far can Carey Price really take you if they do move on to that next round, not having that same offensive support that he so desperately needs in order to really win these games? Right. No, it's, it's a fair point. I mean, personally, I think the winner of this series, I don't I don't know how far they're going to go. They're going to have to play Winnipeg, who just swept Edmonton. So, yeah, um, I'd probably pick Winnipeg against the winner of this series. I just don't trust Toronto, even if they do advance. But we will see what happens. Maple Leafs goalie, though, Jack Campbell's been pretty solid in net. Uh, last night, game three, Toronto did win two to one. William Nylander scored in his third straight game. Um, both teams have been pretty identical in stats, shots on goals, and face-off percentages were the same for both teams. So we will see if we get any score updates while we're on air here. We'll keep you updated on that. But then the other game tonight is Nashville at Carolina. They're also tied 2-2 two to two, heading to game five. So, All right. So now that we've exhausted hockey out, we kind of gave you a brief rundown through the NHL playoffs. We gave you a somewhat relative prediction on who we think is going to get to the Stanley Cup final. Let's move on to our last topic of the evening. We're going to talk about some NFL news here. Um, Atlanta Falcons wide receiver Julio Jones has reportedly requested a trade from the team of Reportedly, this was out months ago, according to Adam Schefter. But there is a funny quote that I found pretty interesting, Kyle. And I, and I know you and I both know Julio Jones very well as a football player. He has been in the league for a very, very long time now. Shannon Sharp, former tight end, asked Jones on Monday if he'd like to be traded or remain in Atlanta. 
Jones said in quotes, I'm out of there, man. Yeah. How do you I don't, take that? I mean, you take it for what it says. I mean, he's he's out of there. He has he does not want to be there. I mean, I think that what Kyle Pitts drafting at that spot kind of solidifies and, and the action upon it speaks louder than I think what some people thought as he is represented as a tight end, he has the ability to play like a wide receiver and in a team that is to be honest with you in a completely quiet rebuild where nobody really expects anything from them. Julio Jones being what? 31, 32, 32. He's not a guy that's going to want to be here for a rebuild. And even if they do get back to that point, again, how good is Atlanta versus the Saints team? How good is Atlanta against the Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when we're talking about a team that is so far from a rebuild? And then even when they get there, are they even going to be able to win a division? You know, this is a guy that wants to get out of there. And obviously, vocally, Tom, I don't know if you heard it. I don't know how true this is either. Apparently, he didn't know that Shannon Sharp was like live on Undisputed. He didn't know when he put him on speaker. That, that's what I heard. I could be wrong when I say that, but he didn't know that. That's funny. Um, yeah, that's funny. But that, listen, Shannon Sharp, that was, uh, I mean, listen, you got the information out of your source, but I don't, I think he told him afterwards, literally on the show, like, hey, man, just to let you know, you were, uh, you're live on Undisputed. And he was like, oh, 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 man. But again, he's out of there. I don't think there's any question about it. And now I'm hearing rumors that a guy in Julio Jones is only going to cost teams a second round pick. I mean, you're going to have every team in the NFL calling Atlanta for a second round pick for Julio Jones any day of the week, any day of the week. Yeah. He's arguably been the best outside of the twenties wide receiver in the NFL for the past 10 years. So you know, he's notorious for getting your team down the field. Not the best at scoring touchdowns, but no. that's because Atlanta had Tony Gonzalez for all those years. And then, you know, Matt Ryan has had a lot of other targets as well that he's gone to in the end zone. And Julio Jones gets doubled a lot. He gets so much damn attention, especially in the red zone like that. So I'm not shocked. But Julio for a second, Chris Nosek says, is going to be like Boston getting Hall for a second. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was. It's absolutely insane the production that you've seen gone down. Is that Julio Jones is an insane catch guy, an insane yardage guy. But like you said, Tom, he only gets like especially last couple of years, only like three, four touchdowns in a season. Calvin Ridley is really essentially, while he stands as the number two in a lot of people's minds in terms of offensive production, in terms of touchdowns on the stat sheet. At the end of the day, it's more so Ridley than Julio Jones, but. Tom, let, let's talk about you know potential landing spots for Julio at this point in time because we know the player that he is. Like Chris just said, like I said, a second round pick for Julio. You know, teams should be teams are on the phone right now in Atlanta talking about how they're going to get this guy, trying to outbid each other because of how talented he is. Uh, I want to I want to hear your take and where you think he lands because I think I got a hot one, kind of an under the radar one that I don't see a lot of people talking about, but I'd like to see it happen. So there's a few teams that I have on the script. I wrote Cleveland, New England, L.A., the Chargers, and the Colts. So I think realistically the Colts could be a destination for him. I feel like a lot of people aren't talking about that team either, but they don't have the best receiving core. You have an aging T.Y. Hilton. You have Michael Pittman, who was taken in last year's draft. 
And then I think they have Campbell or somebody like that. I don't even know who their third wide receiver is. Zach Pascal, I think. Pascal, Pascal, yep. That's who it is. But I think he could be a good weapon for Carson Wentz. I think he'd immediately be the number one option for Cam Newton in New England or Mac Jones, whoever the QB is. And I think the Browns. I, th- I think the Browns because Odell Beckham is very fragile every year. So is Jarvis Landry. I know last year Landry was healthy. Um, they do have Rashard Higgins. But I think one of those three teams, if I had a pick out of those three teams, I'm actually going to throw the Colts out there. I'm actually going to throw the Colts into it because they have the cap space to do it. And we were talking with Jake Arthur, analyst for the Colts a few months ago. What are the Colts going to do in this offseason? Not much. They're going to try to retain their teeth. Then they go out, they get Carson Wentz. What if they pull another fast one on us and get Julio Jones? That's a destination I could see flying under the radar. I think the best spot for Julio to be that surprisingly I don't see a lot of teams talking about it, which I think would be an absolutely phenomenal place for him to be, is the 49ers. Go back to Shanahan. When he was playing under Shanahan with Atlanta as the offensive coordinator, he had the best season of his career. He had 136 receptions, 1,871 yards receiving, which is both the most of his career, and 100, almost 117 yards per game in his career with an eight-touchdown season. Mm-hmm. In 2015, that was the best season of his career. And then 2016 as well had a very phenomenal, uh, another great season on top of that. And since Shanahan has left, obviously age comes into factor as well. Yardage hasn't been necessarily the problem, but touchdown production has been an issue. Go to the 49ers, uh, uh, which is named John Lynch is one of the best executives in all of football. Just get stuff done. We know that. A second-round pick, like a lot of people are saying, yes, that's a high draft pick, but not for when a guy like this caliber is on the market. While I think that George Kittle is phenomenal, while I think that Ayuk and Samuel are two good receivers, I don't really think either one of them are a one. They're a nice two and a nice three. Get your number one right there and make your offense absolutely lethal for whoever your quarterback is going forward, whether that's Trey Lance, whether that's Jimmy Garoppolo, because you know at the end of the day that Shanahan – when uh, representing Atlanta, being the offensive coordinator there, has made him one of the most absolutely lethal weapons in all of football. Not that he wasn't before, but was responsible in helping him achieve the greatest year of his career. I definitely agree agree with you that that's a good destination for him. But for all the reasons you just explained as to why he might go there are the reasons why I think he won't go there, um, in my opinion, because they have Kittle, they have Samuel, they have Ayuk. Number just, one, though. I just don't see. I mean, yes, he would be the number one. Um, ideally, you would like to get a first round pick back in exchange for him, but I don't know if that's a realistic option, especially yeah. in this financial climate we have in this current off season. So it's going to be interesting. I think I think he's much more likely to get traded than all these quarterbacks people have been talking about. With Deshaun Watson, Aaron Rodgers, I don't think either either of them will, will get traded in this offseason. But I think Julio Jones is much, much more likely. When his career stats, I mean, you mentioned he blew up in 2015. He led the NFL in catches and yards that year, as you were saying. And in 2018, he also led the NFL in yards, nearly 1,700 yards. Like I said, he's outstanding. He's racked up nearly 13,000 yards in his career, has 60 touchdowns, Logging 10 NFL seasons, eight playoff games, too. Yeah. Playoff experience, big time experience. 
another another interesting you, you know why I picked the 49ers as well and why I think another team as well you know Aaron Rodgers has been even after the Trey Lance acquisition in the draft Aaron Rodgers has still been linked to the Bay Area and whether he gets traded there or not what could also be an interesting destination is if Green Bay tries to settle things and and make nice with Aaron Rodgers and get him another weapon and that could be Julio Will that be a potential settling point for him to stay in Green Bay and live out the rest of his career there if he chooses to stay there? Because that's, according to everybody in the social media world, the NFL world, that's part of the reason why, you know, not just the Jordan Love thing, but the constant disrespect, not providing him enough weapons so that they could get over that hump and be a more dominant force than they already were going back to back NFC championship games, but losing both of them. I think that could be another interesting destination as well, which I don't see a lot of people talking about. According to Spot Track, Packers only have a little over three million in cap, so they'd have to, if they were to trade for him, they'd have to see how much money Atlanta would be offloading. Yeah, off of that's, that. like how that's much money thing. they would claim. That's the thing as well is that pretty much any team that he gets traded to, I would assume that Atlanta would be biting the bullet on a lot of that cap space as well, on a lot of that money that he's owed. You would think. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see what happens, folks, but. All right, so that's pretty much all we have for tonight, folks. We do appreciate all the comments and all the questions that everybody's thrown out there. Make sure to continue to like our Facebook page, subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. It goes a long way. Really appreciate all the support. I know Kyle and I will be back next week talking some more hockey, talking a little bit more hot topics and sports, which will be a lot of fun. But a quick reminder to everybody, to tune into our newish, not really new anymore, but our baseball show, Hitting for the Cycle, that's hosted by Hank and Dichter on Thursday at 7 p.m. He's going to be joined by the one, the only, Kyle, our good buddy, Andy Hopper, joins Hitting for the Cycle, a diehard St. Louis Cardinals fan. That is Thursday at 7 p.m. And then Review Preview will be live next week at 7 p.m with more NHL playoff updates and much more. So, Kyle, thank you very much for joining me tonight. It's been a lot of fun. Absolutely, Tom. Like always, happy to join you on this uh, Tuesday night. All right, folks. So we'll see you all next week. You've been watching Review and Preview here on Facebook Live. Have a good night, everybody.